I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. This is Sharth Tommy Cherian, the owner of Hip Hop DX. You're listening to Rebel Radio. Fuck you, Josh. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Tina Butterwolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh, Rebel Radio is going down. What do you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I talk to the Rebels who are shaping youth culture. I find out how they do it, why they do it, and what you can do to get a little piece of the pie for yourself. We're also the only show that features new music every week from our friends over at EDM.com. This week, man, this is a good interview. I know I say that. Uh, I don't know if I say that. Maybe I don't. But this week is great. I love this one. My man, Sharath Sharian founder of Hip Hop DX. Um, he is just a really smart dude. He knows his business. He knows the culture. He's uh, educated and, and introspective. It's great stuff here. He's going to tell us kind of how he's weathered the storms of the publishing business and managed to build um, some pieces for the future. He's got some advice for SoundCloud rappers and really any up-and-coming artists or creators. Um, really, really sound thinking about that. And um, he's going to tell us why hip-hop is synonymous with the American dream. Good stuff coming up on Rebel Radio after your EDM.com track of the week. Six days, yeah, whip around the block, soaking up the air, breaking up the rock. Ooh, see my fly. See, I'ma be waiting for you at the top. Uh, I'm at the top. Switch. Save me from away. I've been stuck here six days. 
shit, whip around the block, soak up that. Yeah, break that rock, ooh, Gucci my sock. I'ma be waiting for you at the top, G. I'm at the top, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo, that was our EDM.com track of the week. That was still Haze with the other side. That's on the hip hop channel. Go to soundcloud.com slash hip hop for more music just like that. And let's get into the interview. I don't know, I've been the anti-industry from the beginning, right. so it's always been, it's always been like, like I never want to hire writers, yeah. like, I don't know if you've, like there's a, like a New York writing scene in hip hop, Sure. and I hate, to, like I don't like it because it's always, what's the word I'm looking for, like it's, um, it's very gossipy when I see it, Yeah. when I've seen it in the past, yeah, uh, it's, yeah. writing in hip hop's important, but it's not as important as, you know, stuff that's going on in New York Times, sure, or yeah, Washington yeah. Post. Yeah. And, but it, it sounds like there's a self-importance put onto right. it that, that like, this stuff is not ha- your stuff is not having an impact. Maybe right. back in, like, and I think I was at the tail end of where, like, Vibe, Double XL, you know, probably the source was on its last leg. But mm-hmm. uh, BET, like, all these sort of, like, journalist content creators would have these, like, powwows in New York right. that, that sure. would be happening regularly. Yeah, yeah. With really no understanding of really what's happening in the business, like I, I could right? hear the, the way they were talking, and it was just no—they were just so far from what they thought yeah. was interesting versus what actually changes the landscape. If that makes sense, it does. I mean, I—it's I, funny hearing you say that because, you know, so I started as a journalist, okay, and um, you know, I wrote for the Source and Vibe and Double okay. XL, and I wrote in the first issue of double xl oh okay um you know rap pages yeah all these like yeah you know i have them all at home all of the old school stuff and then herb of course and i worked yeah. there you know full time for a while and um you know it's interesting like it, i mean that was a different era where i think you needed that uh that community okay right of writers and yeah. and you know there was certainly less business to it. Right. And there was also like the culture was emerging. And so people would trade Informa- you know, yeah. information. We'd help each other. Like, you know, I put Elliot Wilson and Sasha on at Herb and then I got them hired at the source and then they right. got me hired at Vibe and there was like all that kind of stuff going on. Yeah. And I think, you know, there was some value to it, especially, you know, when I wrote for the source, they were like, oh, we need. Uh, like we don't have anybody in LA, yeah, right. And so we need somebody to cover the West Coast. It had been Paul Stewart before that, yeah. and then he got too busy with managing Coolio and you right. know House Pain and whatever, so he couldn't do it. So I didn't know he managed those guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, he was having like just giant, you know, few years of, mm-hmm. of, of mega hits and whatever. And so, um, but now you wouldn't really have trouble finding writers. Right. I mean, you might have trouble finding the right ones, but. I mean, that that's where now the whole, and that's how we're, we're trying to differentiate ourselves. Yeah. I mean, it always has been. At the end of the day, just like you, I mean, I've, like, I've read all the magazines all the way up till probably like 04, uh-huh. you know, and then I yeah. kind of just. Sure. Um, but 
it's that it's, there's like a sense of writing that like people who understand how to get a good story. Yeah. Like it's scary to me that I know how to get a better story than a writer does, than right. some of my writers do. Yeah. And that really bothers me. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what I was gonna say is like, there's definitely- and I'm a business person. That's what bothers me even more. I'm not a writer, but yeah. you know, I can tap into things that are just sure different. Well, I think, you know, writing is, in some way it's universal, right? Like we all, everyone knows how to write mm -hmm. to some extent or another. They, don't, they may not know journalism, right? But they, um, and we all, we've all read great stories that right. touch us and we know, it's kind of like we know it when we see it. Yeah. And I do think for some writers, you know, it's too easy to get, you know, up your own ass and just be like all about the process and all, and like kind of lose the reader right along the way yeah um, and especially you know uh, you know what I was gonna say you know back then like with hip-hop you know there was definitely like this New York slant on what hip-hop supposed to sound like and who's supposed to be making it and what they're supposed to talk about and all that stuff and they were very you know at the time they're very antagonistic to the West Coast and dismissive of everything else and, right um, you know that fueled, I think, a lot of what was going on with the different beefs and, and all that stuff. And some of that was just writers, you know, like we had moments where we would meet artists or certainly fans, and they didn't care anything about all the East Coast, West Coast shit. Right. But like the, the, in the press, like that was, it was a big deal. It was selling magazines and it was getting people fired up and, right. you know, all that stuff. So, yeah, yeah I, that's, that's an interesting perspective. But, but, you know, then I saw the tail end of it, right? And right. so on top of which, when I was think, thinking in my head, like, I don't want... And there's something I still haven't been able to figure out to this day. It's like, the, the, I, get, I understand why you move out to L.A. or New York to further your career because sure. you think it's more connections. Yeah. But I'm finding it's like, it's actually the worst for my business. Is that right? Because they want, they're so ready to jump at the next cool thing. Right because they think that's what's going to help their career yeah. and it doesn't help my business grow, which is what's actually going to help their career long term. Right. Like everyone's looking at this short two year yeah, yeah. stint. Sure. And I mean, you've been in the business long enough that after, like two years isn't enough to build a name for yourself right. and to even get enough experience to actually know what you're doing. I mean, yeah. I'm like, I guess with both of us, we've now seen at least I started DX in 99. So you're looking at what are we looking at now? Like, I would say, and even just being as a hip hop fan, seeing, I think around the generation six, five or mm -hmm. six of like, here are your top eight artists of sure. the year, and they've nicely they've cycled and cycled and cycled. You know, yeah. um, you know, it, it's it's hard to explain to people like, dude, there's only gonna be one hit artist a year, right? And one hit underground artist a year, yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Those are the two. You know, one will be from the underground, one will be from the mainstream. And I feel that's a very consistent story that hasn't even changed. No matter if we've gone to digital, no matter if we've gone anywhere else, it's the same story, you know. Yeah. Um, and if you think about it, record labels are at any given time have 20 acts signed to them, right? So we're talking about three, or I guess, I mean, um, like three or four, four, I guess, at this point. And so mm -hmm. any of them have 20 of these hip-hop artists, and only one out of those 80 get to make it. Wow. Right. Yeah. I mean, the numbers. I mean, when you put it, when you put it that way. Yeah. I mean, it's and yet a lot of kids dream on this like being the one in eighty. Sure. One in eighty that's signed. Let's let's right, now right, go right. down to like yeah, the, the bottom tier of what. 
what it is. And, uh, you know, I, 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 for some reason, I've always believed in what Tech Nine does more than anything else, because I think that, yes, you're not going to be, you know, internet famous right. or uh, not internet famous. You're not going to be like, um, you know, TV famous or mainstream right. famous. Like, we get that, but you're going to have a, you, like, they own almost streets in yeah. Kansas City. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's what, um, that's what, uh, a lot of those guys don't understand and and uh, you know I, I don't know like they, they just can't they, don't, they never had the business sense in the first place right mm -hmm. so so they so or they don't have somebody who has business sense in their mm -hmm. team they're always hiring somebody who's mm -hmm. who's their friend and they think yeah, and the friend might have their back right. but their friend doesn't know what a contract looks like right. he hasn't seen 10 or 20 different artist contracts to know what the labels try to sneak in there and what they don't yeah. you know yeah. Uh, they don't know how to manage the money mm -hmm. properly. They don't know that it's only like a management fee is twenty percent. It probably takes them four years even to discover like that's an actually a realistic management fee. You sure. know, yeah. they might think it's fifty-fifty at the beginning. Right, right, you right. know, like all those little things. You know, that's what you sort of learn over time. Yeah. That I don't know. It's um. So like yeah, that's and that's the thing when it comes down to just the east and west coast. It's like I'm finding that the yeah, the, but the, the, on the t on the flip side, the writers don't have the connections. Or they don't necessarily have the experience right. to write the most amazing story. So now I'm stuck in this like yeah. weird, you know, do you freelance the coasts, but sure. then you don't have presence, like it's the same thing that they probably had. But yeah. when it was so small back then, I think you had this, it just had longer time frames to grow. So you were like, there was no one else to write for. It's like you got your right. three publications, you either yeah, want them yeah. or you're not, you know? Absolutely. Um, and now it's like, yeah, you can bounce around, but I mean, there's, I mean, the sites are all gone, right? There's only like us, XXL, Hot New Hip Hop for yeah. for hip hop information, and yeah. even that, um, you know, I don't feel you. Know, one of those guys don't really folk understand hip hop culture. You know, another one's sure. in a conglomerate that's right. Town Square Media, and that's right. like, you know, they own three other, ten other sites. They own another thirty-five, forty radio stations. Yeah, they don't care. Yeah, um, and. Uh, and that leaves just us, you know, in terms of that top tier traffic. Like, sure. You know. Well, I want to I want to dig into that a little bit, and you said a couple of things that are triggering me. But uh, yeah. but let's talk about how you got started. Okay. Um, were you always into hip hop? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, at like geez, I don't know, grade six or seven. If it maybe I wasn't like able to find what I was looking for because uh, it's because I was in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Right. Uh, which I like to joke is the hub of hip hop. <laughs> um, but if you ever go there, it is literally six, seven hundred thousand people and then prairies. Right. Like Oakland has six, seven hundred thousand people. That's right. great. But then you have San Francisco right, right beside right. it. Yeah. You have all the Bay Berkeley, going on. Silicon yeah. So you have yeah. like, so while the number doesn't sound that, that crazy, it's the fact that you have nothing else after that for yeah. five, you know, it's five hours to drive down to Minneapolis. Wow. Uh, you know, like it's, so it's just, there's nothing. There's nothing nearby, and uh, so how did you discover hip hop in that environment? Do you remember like, do you remember the moment you discovered hip hop, like the record? Um, I'm trying to think what. Well, it was whatever was going mainstream hip hop at the time. I would just memorize all the lyrics. Right. So, um, you know, whether it was Salt and Pepper. In, 
and the Canadian distribution system is so, di so much different. So mm. if it didn't do gold up here, you wouldn't really see it in Canada. Wow. And so then, and then the Canadian record labels, which is, which there, there was, there was the f only four or five then. So there was Sony BMG, uh, there was, um, Oh, sorry, there's BMG, then there was Sony, then there was uh, Universal. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess Polygram was one, too. And so then you'd, you'd get all these sub-labels that would feed her into that. The, that would be the parent label here, and that's how the structure right. was. But these, like, Def Jam ran by itself, yeah. and then Polygram would distribute it, right? right? Um, and so, but in Canada, because you don't, you're not going to have these sub-labels, Polygram would just take care of the distribution in Canada. So you just had one place to go. And mm -hmm. so then if they, once they decided something went gold, they would get it would go down to right. uh, the rest of um, you know the rest of us in in, the, in all of Canada. So so what do you think spoke to you about hip hop in that environment you were living in? It's different. I'm like the I don't know. There's like one East Indian, one black kid, and there's right. there's you know 22 other white kids in your class. Yeah. There's just I I am a different kid. Sure. I knew it. Yeah. Um, so it was like outsider music. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just like, you know, and then f you're always fighting for something. You're always feeling yeah. like you want to belong in some which way, shape or form. And and I think that's what spoke to me more so than rock. Yeah. You know, um, it was it was that it was just it was it was the music genre. And I think f family wise, I think we just my family has some this musical like. Oh, really? Uh, it's just it's in there. It's not yeah. predominant. Yeah. Um, but funny enough, even I got married like 10 years ago and um, even her family's a little bit into music. Mm -hmm. Like her brother likes to just play around with production stuff. Nice. Her sister just likes to make mixtapes on the side just for fun. I mean, it's yeah. just there's music in the family yeah. um, regardless of uh, like, so I connected with her just by connecting with her, you know, so mm -hmm. like. Uh, she actually said she, uh, this is funny, she, the reason she went on a second date with me is because she wanted to borrow my Sweet 903 no mixtape that That's I got hilarious. from Cornerstone. Yeah, yeah. I was like, and she said, well, I had to return this on our second date, so <laughs> I wanted That's to borrow That's great. That. Um, but she's not hip-hop. She's like, she's a lawyer, and she, yes, yeah. she grew up with like, more like neo-soul uh -huh. uh, stuff, but... Sweet um, 903. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, so there was that, that connection there, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So what did you find a hip hop community where you live? Like were you? Oh yeah. Were you like b boying? This is what's interesting about getting... any market during that time, right? Yeah. Like what was that? Um, what was that city thing the source used to do? Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget what it was called. Yeah, me too. No, I don't remember what it was called. Um, and so they used to do that feature on the city, but it it feels the same. Uh, so I only it was it's really funny. I only really finally got into hip hop. I would say ninety. Four ninety-five was okay. when I like just like all right I'm going to figure this out. Okay. So there was only one magazine store, the one downtown that yeah. had like all the magazines from everywhere that had the source, and rap pages and and um, and so that was the only place I could go find it. And I and I'd heard it f through a few people like oh you probably can go there to find a mag that magazine. Mm -hmm. So then you just read it front to back. Um, you know I remember that first year you don't really know you're reading about like Far Side and you don't know. Right. You, there's nothing to put together yet. You've just yeah. read one magazine. You got a lot of names. Sure. You have no real information. Yeah. Um, but the ways I started, like in my head, trying to figure all this stuff out, is I put like a, uh, I, I put up a map of the U.S. and a map of New York. And so when I'd hear where people are from, I'd start oh, putting up names in different. Yeah. I, you know, I'd sit there on the computer and type their name out, then cut it out, and then put their name right beside what That's borough really cool. they were from and stuff like that. And so you start like understanding where 
where they're from, kind of what they're talking about. Yeah. You know, you've, you're like, oh, this is where Queensbridge is, and you know, this is where what they're talking about in the Bay or Brooklyn, or and like, you're okay, you know. And so I'm starting to get the lay of the land at like 15 and 16, but within a year, like, and then things start popping up, like stickers and and mm -hmm. fly. Once you start sort of getting into it, you meet a couple people who happen to like hip hop. They make you a couple mixtapes. Mm -hmm. um, and then you start getting like these stickers and flyers and you're like, wait a minute, like this stuff is like, someone's, somebody's passing this out, right? right. And so I go on a trip to uh, New York and Toronto and I buy these mixtapes that I've been reading about in the vibe. I was like, sure. okay, mixtapes, mixtapes, what are these, right? Yeah. As soon as I get these things and like, this is when, uh, you know, Coco Bravos, I guess Smith & Wesson and then um, all these guys are like, this is, I became like this duck down mm -hmm. like fan. So I'm collecting all these mixtapes, I come back and I'm looking at the back of the source, I'm looking at these mixtapes, I was like, holy shit, like, everything, so if you, if the, I was telling you earlier, if the big label wasn't distributing it, you had to buy it on import. Right. And that's, that, that means yeah, they yeah. drove down to North Dakota, they bought it, they brought it back up and they doubled the price. Wow. So a $12 CD was now 24. Yeah. Right, so if I wanted Masterpiece for a CD, it was 24 bucks. If so I wanted sure. Reasonable Doubt, it was 24 bucks. Yeah. Right, and then I had to find 24 bucks as a kid. Yeah. You know, 12 is even just, yeah, yeah. you know, a stretch. Now we sure. have to find 24. And so, but I got these mixtapes, and I was super, super excited because, like, all I need is these tapes, but I'm yeah. not going to New York and Toronto every week or every right. month. So yeah. I'm able, to, so I start calling the DJs on the back of the mixtapes, and then I talk to one of them, and he's the one in Toronto, he agrees, uh, DJ Mastermind, he agrees to send me. Um, a shipment of 10 tapes and I will send him, I was thinking I was buying them for $60, $6 a pop. So I sent him 60 bucks, nice. he sent me 10 tapes. Wow. Um, and then I sold them all. Yeah. And then next thing I know, um, over the next like from 16 to 20, I had a, a mixtape business uh -huh. where I'd ship in the mixtapes every month. So I went from like 10 to 60 hip hop and 60 R&B tapes every wow. six weeks. Yeah. Um, and then Christmas was the best because you'd always do a double tape right. and so I could double my revenue. Nice. Um, and so we would pass out flyers and oh, I'd pass out flyers and I found out people were crumpling them up. So then one time the DJ uh, mastermind sent me a roll of Farside stickers. Uh -huh. So I'd cut them up and I'd staple yeah, yeah, them yeah. to the, to the uh, flyer and then yeah. everybody kept them because they wanted the sticker too. Sure. Uh, so all these little hacks that I was yeah. doing at 16, 17. 18, uh, just to kind of get into the business. Then he hooked me up with BMG Music and I started doing street team work for them. Oh, okay. So I was actually working under a guy named Saul Guy mm. um, who ended up putting out the Rascals, who ended up working for Bad Boy for a bit and tried to get Lauren to get, get her, her second CD out. Um, so he was like, he was in the industry for a long time after that, but um, uh, I worked out, so I worked for BMG Music uh, doing nice. the street team work for about two, a year and a half, I think. Yeah. Um, went out to tr Toronto for, they, they tried to do a conference, I guess kind of like a North by, South by Southwest, mm -hmm. but in the North mm -hmm. back in 97, the big year just passed. And so, and this was when I was full on in the street team. And so Puffy, Puff came down and they did a whole No Way Out thing for Caravana, which is the biggest black festival in North mm -hmm. America. Um, and so, or uh, biggest African-American one. Um, and so they'd have this huge Carib 
Caravana, and that's in August, and that was just, it was just crazy. It was just yeah. like a, you know, like, you, you, like, you had, Mastermind was playing on one flow, Puffy was on the other flow, and then all you saw was just people. Yeah. And because we were working, we were on the floats and promoting and just dancing and having a good That's time. Cool. And that was a moment I said, you know what, I just want to do this. Like, exactly. this is the business I want to be in. Yeah. So I was like 17, and, you know, I'd already, like, I guess I'd already be in the business for a year and a half, technically. So, yeah. so I didn't, it's weird because I didn't listen to the music long enough in, uh, I think, other people's opinions. Mm. Um, but that's always been me as a person. So mm -hmm. it's always, it's not, I don't necessarily, I love the, con I care about the content, but I care more about how does it get from nothing to out to millions of people. Like that distribution system yeah. and that pull that takes, you know, that's exciting to me because you need that to, for this stuff to keep going, right? right? Like the, somebody's gonna make more and more music, but how is that person going to get it out there? And there's sure. only, we were talking about earlier, there's only a few ways. It's either, you know, you're doing it yourself or you find somebody to invest, which is a record label. Yeah. Right? And then from then, okay, great, you can get one or two out. There's still a challenge to have the discipline to be like Jay-Z and put one out every year so your name's still in the, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, half of, half of his, yes, he's a very talented person, but the other part of it is that he works his ass off to yeah. keep music coming out yeah, yeah, yeah. and keeps, keeps his name in the lexicon. So thinking back, you know, to what you do now and the business you're in, what did you take from the experience on the street team that you use today? Um, the stuff that I learned on the street team that I still use today, I, I think it's just the, it's like hand-to-hand -hand combat, Yeah. right? Yeah. It's what hip-hop is at the end of the day. That, that's actually the funniest thing about the music and the culture that, that advertisers don't understand is that that you got to be with connected to the people who are you got to have some connection to that like love and caring and yeah. and that relationship you know yeah. it is the local car dealership sure that's the relationship um you know yeah you can you might be lucky and get the bt hip-hop awards during that three-year stint that the bt hip-hop awards mattered right but after you know before it really hit yeah completely mainstream and after those three years you know, you're kind of in a situation where, where like your your dollars aren't worth as your dollars aren't reaching the audience that you're trying to reach. You know, sure. um, so yeah, I, I mean, I've always believed it's hand to hand combat, and maybe that's when like I go to the site and like we don't juice our numbers to a fault. We don't do thing. I don't do things on purpose to be, create a better user experience. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have those six ads in the bottom of my of, of every right. article that you can like click on these six things right, and right, one right. is your eight pack abs whoever yeah. knew you had two more extra abs <laughs> um you know we just don't do things like that because to me it's not about it's it's partially about the user experience but it's also partially about like just an authenticity to it that that needs to exist yeah know? yeah yeah. so well so i you know let's talk about that for a minute i know there's you have a tagline that's for the culture what does that mean? Like, I get what that meant 10 years ago, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, what does it mean today? What is, what is the culture? I mean, we, you know, last night was the Grammys. You know, it was a big night for hip-hop. And as, you know, with Kendrick and, and just um, how much hip-hop has penetrated mainstream music, pop culture, you know, um, so how do you think of the culture now, and what does it mean to you to be for the culture? 
Um, did you, I got an interesting question. Do you think that, uh, like Nielsen finally said this year or last year that hip hop is the biggest music genre yeah. in, in America, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, do you think it has been for a while and we just didn't know? Um, I kind of go back and forth on that. Okay. Right, because I remember Chuck D, you know, and Ice-T saying in 90, 91, like, most of our, we look out in the, off the stage, and most of the kids out there are white, right? And, and, you know, and that was, what was that, almost 30 years ago. Right. Right, that that was already the case. And I think, um, So, so I think to some extent, yeah, it's already been there. It's already been impacting. And yet, you know, at the same time, like, you know, I meet people pretty regularly and I'm always surprised who like, it's obvious that their lives were never touched by hip hop. Okay. They just grew up in Weezer and Def Leppard. I don't know where, what they grew up with, but like, you know, I guess my point is like rock at the same time has been such a massive cultural force you know, on people's lives as well, mm-hmm. that, um, I don't know, uh, maybe I'm not answering it well, but like, I was at Coachella the first year, and everybody I knew was at Coachella the first year, and in my mind, like, Coachella was mainstream right. after year one, and then five years later, like, people were discovering it, and I learned about that, and I was like, really? Okay, and then like 10 years later, I'd have that experience again, and, and you know, I think, by a lot of definitions, Coachella only went mainstream like three years ago. Okay. Like to where it's now, okay, and now everyone in the world actually knows about it. Right. Right. And so I think there's these stages that you hit, and hip hop's probably had the same kind of thing. Okay. Because I'd actually make the argument that I think hip hop was the biggest music culture of five or six years ago, or maybe even, even longer than that. Yeah. And the only reason you know that now is because you actually understand consumption. Sure. Because before we had to go off CD sales. Right. And now that people have Spotify, yeah. Apple Music, you actually understand how much time people are spending. Yeah. With Yeah, you might be right. With hip hop. Yeah. And uh, I, I've, my personal opinion is Nielsen has it wrong. I think five years ago, six years ago. I think Nielsen has most things wrong. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I like how the media likes to quote those. Sure, of know, course. Those numbers. Uh, I don't know. So to me, to me, because the culture has just been around so long, uh, I think it, hip hop. Why do you think hip hop's America's culture? That's a good question. Or I mean, maybe it's not America's culture, but why do you think hip hop's so big as a music genre? Well, I used to think it was because it was counterculture, right? And there was an appeal, certainly for my generation. Right, it was a way for people to express their rebellion, their angst. Right. You know, um, it was, you know, and so was rock and roll for a previous generation. And so, you know, when I was growing up, there were those kids that were immersed in rock or metal or whatever, mm-hmm. and it just didn't speak to my my experience. You right. know, that in in a way that hip hop did. So. Um, you know, I, I, I used to think like it was a way for people to establish identity when that's what was most important in their lives, right? right. And you're 16, you're figuring out who you are, 
And you could do that in a lot of ways by what you listen to, and that came with a certain, you know, I always say it came like, it was a package deal, right? Because it came with a wardrobe and mm -hmm. a slang. Yeah, it was a culture. And a set of friends yeah. and like all this stuff, yeah. right? And so it was a shortcut to figuring out who you are right. by association. Um, I don't know if that's true anymore. Like, I don't, so, so like. 30 years later, you, you can't be because you're. Right. Yeah, of course. You're against the system because it is the system. It, right, exactly. So, so. And it doesn't seem like it's dying down. No, it doesn't. So, but I don't know the reason now that, uh, you know, other than like it's now just become established and it's, and it's like a, uh, I don't know, I just feel it's, it's sort of there, but, but I, I don't know, that's not a really good answer. I, I, don't, I don't know the reason today. So my humble opinion on this is that it is the hip, the American dream personified in music. Sure. So, I mean, there, I, I saw something on your site. doesn't die till the American dream dies. Yeah. Right. That's, that's, and that's a powerful, powerful thing, right? Sure. We, this concept of rags to riches, the concept of the white picket fences, yeah. that I can achieve anything by working my ass off, that's what hip hop is yeah. at this point, you know? And maybe you're right, it started slightly counterculture, mm -hmm. or maybe it didn't. I mean, they had gold chains from day one, right. you know? Uh, yeah. You know, it's just not, you have to ask yourself the question 30, 40 years later, like, why is it still here? Well, it's a different kind of counterculture than, say, punk rock. Sure. Right, which punk rock was like, Fuck the system, tear down the system. You know, it was, it was about anarchy. But they weren't poor. Right. And so hip hop was a, more about like, let us in. Mm -hmm. Although not begging, like in a very, you know, maybe, uh, uh, you know, in a way that's filled with bravado, right? It was kind of like, we don't, you know, we don't need you, but yet let us in, mm -hmm. right? And like, the, I mean, it was funny, the Grammys were last night. And so, you know, my association, association with the Grammys is like, you know, Ice Cube being mad at the Grammys because he was snubbed. Right. You know, the Ghetto Boys had a song like Fuck a Grammy or I forget what the title was. Like, uh, but yet what those guys really wanted was Grammys. Right. Do you know what I mean? And they yeah. were locked out, so they were rebelling against that. But, but they, wanted, they wanted to be in. Right. You know, and, and yeah, they wanted that American dream um, and, you know, all the all the trappings that come with it. Right. So, no, I, I think you're totally right. Um, but the American dream doesn't die. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, it, that's fundamentally what keeps this country moving. Yeah. You know, whether it's being from, uh, you know, f you know, from the ghetto or the projects or being from mid-America or being from wherever you're, you know, because you're chasing a dream. So, so that authenticity has to sort of always be there. Like this, this experience, like a, a, you know, am I, are we telling a story that you really want to feel like you're there? Mm -hmm. Right. Or cause you're going to miss out cause you, you're just never going to have that experience or B, are we telling you how to get closer to the American dream in some which way, shape or form? based upon how the music talks about it, mm -hmm. right? Like, it's still very much, we've never, it, my, my biggest thing I tell everybody is, don't write about, um, don't write about hip hop culture, write about hip hop music. Mm. So, 
when we talk about things, we don't talk about an Air Force One to talk about an Air Force One. We talk about an Air Force One because Drake came out with an Air Force One. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the time we'll touch those topics. Sure. And that has consistently actually helped us through a lot of the tornadoes in business in general, mm. uh, is a focus on the fact that we are a music site first and we will talk about cultural things, but we're, there's no plan to like, you know, we need to talk, we need a sneaker section. Right. We need a movie section. Sure. Um, there's movies that will have soundtracks and that will affect, you know, that, that are important to the culture. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we would have talked about Dave Chappelle because he comes out with artists on it, you know, right. but the artist has to be there in some shape or form. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and what's funny because we we're talking about journalists either is that there's this weird thought process that I find with some of the younger journalists that it has to talk about music to talk about the artist, and that's not true. Right. Like, there's so many stories that you can tell about about things that are happening in the world, but through hip hop music, like sure. there's always a thread to pull it through, but using music as the defining point. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so you know, for the culture is is just you know, at the end of the day, we are. We are the people who live it. That's the people who work in the company. You know, there's pe these people who want to like fight a fight, who want to build something. Um, it's much different than just having a job. Yeah, I bet. I'm sure. Hey, if you're enjoying this one, go back in the Rebel Radio archives uh, on the journalism publishing tip. Check out my man Sasha Jenkins. He's the editor of Mass Appeal magazine. He was the founder of Ego Trip magazine. He's making great documentaries about hip hop culture like Fresh Dressed, which you might have seen. Uh, lots of good stuff with Sasha if you go back and check that one out. So, so go back to that. Go back to, you know, you're on the street team. Um, why did you go into publishing? You know, it's really funny because I'd read the source and I'd say, I'd never do this. I, <laughs> I want right? to manage an artist. I want to do this. Yeah. Um, I'd stopped selling mixtapes and I'd stopped doing stuff with the street team. And I was a going to college, uh, a broke college kid, like most college kids are. And I needed to get sure. the CDs somehow. Yeah. Uh, I didn't want to pay for them, and I knew that if I did something with the labels, and Winnipeg was cool because all the labels were in one location. Okay. So they were all in the same little office building. Yeah. Um, and it, every label only had like one, maybe one or two had two reps. Right, They're right, all right. one rep because yeah. the market's just so small. And their job was literally to go to the local like Sam Goody right. and make sure all the CDs were yeah, organized yeah, yeah. properly. That was their main sure. job. They just happened to do some other stuff. They, you know, they took all the stuff that all the street team stuff would be shipped to them, and that's where you'd go pick it up and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But um, uh, since I knew where they were, I just decided, okay, let me start this website. Let me write a letter to tell them what I'm doing and if they'd give me the CDs yeah. on a regular basis. And so I got my little cubby that I'd come in once every week or once every two weeks and grab all the CDs and get all my friends to do the album reviews. Nice. So it really was a ploy just to get three CDs. Sure. Um, that's because how I love I, the that's culture. That's actually how that I started as a journalist too. Same thing. Yeah, you were. Uh, just give me some free music. Yeah. And you started with the reviews? That yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Where was your first article? Well, so I wrote, I went to UCLA and I wrote for the Bruin. Okay. Which was awesome because it was a daily paper, so I could write as much uh, as I wanted. Yeah. And everybody else there was into rock, so I had the playing field to myself. So I right. was like the rap critic. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it was in LA, so I got to know all the labels. And, right. You know, it was a, 
you know, it was, it was an amazing way to start a career. Oh, yeah. For sure. What year was this? Uh, 91. Okay. 1991, yeah. 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 That's the perfect year, though. Totally. Before it just all blows up. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was a good time, for sure. I don't, I don't know if that kind of stuff happens anymore. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it does at certain levels. I just don't know if we, we see it the same way. And I, it's still a unique position to be in. That, that From, like, 85 to 2000, seeing hip-hop grow that way. Right. And then even into maybe 2003, just seeing that first when, when Master P takes over. After that, I think something just happened. Like, the old guard sits around. That's what sure. happens. They stay, they stay in their positions. Yeah. Before it was more fluid, you yeah. know. But, yeah, after 2003... You know the names are set. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, you rarely get to see an industry bloom like that. Uh, luckily, funny, I was going through records this weekend. Yeah. And uh, I tried to just get my collection cleaned up a little bit, and and I pulled out. Um, now I forget what even the record was, but it was on Sleeping Bag. It was Fresh Records and Sleeping Bag Records that they were. And, and on the inside sleeve, they had, like, all their other releases. Right. And I was looking at it, you know, it was EPMD, it was... Now, I, I, I can't even remember it, but, like, I had a moment yesterday where I was like, you know, if you had asked me in whatever that year was, 90, like, I would have told you, yeah, there's no way this label is not going to be around right. and, like, killing it, you know, forever like they just had so many big artists at the right. time you know and now they're like you can't we can't we couldn't find someone that's ever heard of that label right you know and so yeah it was, it's it was just this very fluid environment you know and and all of the um i just think about like all those entrepreneurs who were whether it was you know wild pitch or fourth and broadway or just mm -hmm. these guys that were out signing uh what's uh you know, signing these acts that would go on to define the culture and yet, like, their businesses never really... I mean, some of them sold, I'm sure, and did okay, but right. most of them, you know, I never went anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I don't... I, I personally don't like to call them entrepreneurs, but... Uh, yeah. I can, I can. I personally feel like a lot of them fell into this and sure. saw the money. Yeah, that's fair. Quickly bought stuff together. Right. It's ones who last, who I would call an entrepreneur. Like, uh, you know, Russell Simmons, he found another way to make money. Yeah. Um... You know, uh, in no way am I agreeing with what's going on now, but, you know, he he understood that the record business did one way of making money, and he was able to do Deft Comedy Jam to bring in more of the dough and yeah. use a brand to, you know, to, to really make his dollars, you know, or Fat Farm. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I, you know, Russell's, it's funny, I'm, of all the shit that's happening right now, like, um, it's a weird, anyway, we could talk about that at length, but... Uh, Russell's a tough one to see go down. Because right. on the one hand, you know, I have friends that, are, you know, have beef with him personally and that, you know, and whatever. So, but, but on the other hand, like, our culture would not be what it is without him. Sure. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. You and I would have different lives today. Right. If it wasn't for him and what he did and, and all that. And so uh, that's, that's, like, hard to watch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the same goes with African Bambada, too, right? Like, Absolutely. You know. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, like, that's... The, so the site started from this this concept of just wanting the free free music. Um, mm -hmm. And I was going to business school at the same time. So it was this combo of, like, 
me doing that and kind of learning about how to run it. Yeah. Um, but I also had this like weird sense of like, all right, well, if this was going to actually work, what do, what do we need to do? So I flew out to Toronto and I put a little deck together and actually pitched them. And, when I, um, and I just put like, yeah, I just put some slides together, a little folder mm -hmm. that talked about what the site was and what we were doing. And then, you know, went to uh, Virgin Atlantic, went to um, BMG, went to Universal, you know, they, they, they had two or three people in the room. I presented, yeah. I knew some of the people already. Um, and next thing I know, every couple months, I was able to get a thousand bucks, 2000 bucks for ads right. on the site. Yeah. Um, you know, no one was talking about CPMs or anything. People were just buying them like they were buying magazine ads. I was yeah. like, oh, cool. I guess some people saw it. <laughs> um, Absolutely. We got to be on the internet because everyone's talking about the internet. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, though, and like, so that, that starts happening. Meanwhile, in oh. 2000 2001 what's happening is uh all hip-hop is out in new york and they're they're killing it because they have the two-way pager game down on lock right. um and then they have uh chuck who um who's able to who works at bet and so mm -hmm. these artists walk off the set off a bet set which they're going to be for anyways they give chuck a quote or something that's like firsthand yeah. you know um, and they skyrocket. And then on top of which you have a SOHH and you have all these other like sites that just take off hooked. Uh, Russell had 360 yeah. hip hop. Yeah, yeah. All these guys just got a bunch of cash and they yeah. got investments and they were like, all right, these guys are all going to do it. Right. Absolutely. And then the recession hits in yeah. 2001, the dot com bubble. And then I'm there in Winnipeg with my site and I never had any money anyways. Sure. Uh, I would take all the money that I was making, the thousands, I would just pay writers with it. I actually didn't even take a salary. Yeah. So, um, because I wanted it to keep going. I at least wanted to get free CDs for three or four years. <laughs> so like, whatever I could do to keep it going. Um, and so then they, uh, they, um, they all went belly up or sold or, yeah. you know, whatever, except for all hip hop. And then me and them fought it out for another like 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, there, there's, there's, the interesting thing is like all of us can be running our businesses fine and then a recession happens and then all of a sudden like you know you you know who's uh when the tide goes out you know sure. who has their swimming trunks on who doesn't yeah, yeah. you know and um and that's kind of what happened is is a lot of people just sort of screwed themselves because they didn't understand how to run a business yeah you know and it's great and, and no one really understands that you, you don't actually find out if you can run a business until year 10. like mm. that's when you kind of know you're like oh and most businesses fail in the first seven years. Right. Um, but you know, a lot of people, a lot of people believe they're above the stats. You know, sure. as soon as you believe you're above the stats, is kind of when you fail. You know. Interesting. But if you believe that you're under, that there's a possibility that you can always just be a statistic, and you go into every situation like that, mm -hmm. um, you almost like, it's almost like that defeativeness helps you mm. excel. Right. It makes you want to make sure all the T's are crossed, the I's are dotted, because if you only have this much space to be successful, right. you're going to make sure all the other shit's taken care of to, to be able to get through that little gap. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so um, on the counter of that, the other technique is you, you sell ahead of yourself where you're always like you're selling more sure. than it costs. So there, right. there's a there's a counter to all these types of like ideas and models. But um but yeah, so we, we launched, so, so that's really kind of how over like, oh, we ended up doing a lot of stuff with Rock the Bells. Mm -hmm. um, so we were, and, and again, just from a business standpoint, we used to, 
they said that, hey, you can be a media sponsor. I said, listen, I don't care if my logo's on a flyer. No one, no one knew is going to come to my site if a logo's going to be on a flyer. They're like, okay, well, what do you want? They're like, well, what can we do? Well, well, we have booths. You want a booth? Okay, cool, but I just don't want a booth. I want to be able to sell shirts. Okay, yeah. sure, no problem. So then we printed a bunch of shirts and we sold them at $5, so cheaper than a beer. Nice. Like, we were the cheapest thing yeah. at one of these things. So we got the free space for free. We were selling $5 shirts. All I cared about was somebody buying a shirt and putting it on and having four other people see it when they put it on. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. You know, so I took a dollar loss on every shirt. Wow. Um, which included the travel and, you know, the, mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. And then um, and that was fine, you know, uh, because, like, if you see one of Kendrick's first videos, he's wearing a Hip Hop Save My Life shirt, which is right. from Hip Hop DX. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, you'll just... Those, those things, like, when I try to reach people, I reach, try to reach people for pennies and cents mm -hmm. and not for 2 or $3 per person, mm -hmm. you know, which is what most companies pay right. to reach somebody. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is those opportunities only happen once every two or three years. Sure. So you don't get to, like, you're sort of twiddling your thumbs till that opportunity sort of pops up, and then you take it, and mm -hmm. then you get a little bigger. Mm -hmm. You know, and you keep waiting, you get a little bigger, and you get a little bigger. You know, this is why pe most people say, like, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs will say, like, well, a lot of people ask you, how did you blow up? And they'll tell you, like, oh, for working for the last 25 years is how I right. blew up. Yeah. You know, or 20, 25 years. Yeah. You know? um, so it's funny you say that because, you know, we're talking earlier about, you know, hip-hop is the, is the embodiment of the American dream. And I think, you know the popular narrative is that we're in this era of hip-hop with SoundCloud rappers that, you know, that they do blow up overnight. Um, and so how do you, I don't know, how do you balance that? How do you, like, how do you maintain that focus in, in the environment that you're in? Um, so when they blow up overnight, what happens? They be there you have one song that's a hit yeah. it's five songs a hit yeah what happened yeah it's some some of that okay right? you know I, I mean it's interesting i always think of it as like you know that is the beginning that should be the beginning of a career right right and yet it's usually the end or more often than not yeah i mean if you, if you do yeah look at the stats again it's, right it's most likely the end right. um you you have to report about what's going on. You know, there's a responsibility that we. So so, f what would you tell those rappers? Would I tell those rappers? Mm -hmm. um, to what? To have a longer career or to? Um, all right. Well, so if we go with the assumption that they want a long career in hip hop, you know, to me it's like, all right, good. You got one down. Right. Let's keep going. You know, yeah. let's see what you can do next. Um, you know. Everyone has a different pattern of how they, how they do things. Um, I do find that sometimes the second time you do something, it's not as good as the first time you did sure. it. Uh, and it sometimes takes to the fourth time you do it again until mm -hmm. you actually match the, the, for, the first time you did it. It's funny uh, you say that because I've had a lot of comedians on this show. And yeah. the rule seems to be the first show, first time you're on stage tends to go pretty well. And, the, and then the second or third time is when you bomb. Right. And... Uh, and a lot of those people have said, like, they needed, you know, thank God they did well the first time because that carried them through. And, like, the memory of that showed them after they bombed that they could do it again. Right. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. One thing I, try, I also try to tell artists is like, okay, look, you don't, you didn't go to college or you didn't do this, but the problem with those first four years in the music industry, and you know this, is when you get signed to a major, you don't get out right away. Right. You spend two years, what they call like percolating or like doing yeah. stuff in the industry, you're going to college no matter what. Right. So if you're not going to spend the time with the label to learn all that stuff in those two years, and you're just going to think that you're just going to go into a studio and like, make some music and something's something magic's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, you've just already kicked yourself in the foot. Sure. Yeah. You know, or in the ass. Um, put, your, put, put your foot in your mouth. But uh, like that's, it's just, there's just very little understanding of how much work it takes to be a Jay-Z or an Eminem or yeah. any of these guys. And that, that music gets you to the party. Mm -hmm. It's what you do at the party is what's going to keep you there for the long for the long time you know yeah. um and um you know or you surround yourself with people who can do it right mm -hmm. and it insulates yourself in a way that you can focus on the one thing that you think you can do really really well which is the music and you have other people around you who's gonna handle it but man finding good business people is just as hard as finding good musicians absolutely you know? so how do you apply that to your business who do you who do you surround yourself with? uh you know people who know what they're doing and what they're talking about you know, try to, there's a lot of people who want to write about hip hop. You sure. know, they think it's like something, it's like, you know, I'm sure in the last, last three years, I'm sure you've worked with a lot of social media people and you put on an application for, oh, we need a social media person. And everyone who just has a social account thinks they can be a social totally. media person, right? Yeah. And so they don't really understand a lot of the tools that are used in order to track things. Right. Um, they, people need to, so it's really important to f find people who care about their craft just as much as they care about hip hop music. So, um, I don't know, the, the balance is always there. I think that's a, that's a challenge with any business is finding good people. And so, you know, the, the, the sound call rapper isn't just as tough a situation right. as somebody like Apple. You know, they, their jobs are to consistently find good people and surround themselves with good people. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and that's, that's what makes, in a weird way, that's that rapper's competitive advantage. It isn't that they just, made the most amazing song is mm -hmm. that did they surround themselves with the right people um, and people are going to fall off like you know this too like the, the people you start off with might not be, be the next people but sure. you as a rapper should understand just enough that when to call bullshit and when to like like you don't need to know everything about business but you need to know how things get done right yeah I mean I, I, that's one of the things I find fascinating that uh, you know, the industry we're in is such that the better you are at something, the more you have to do a job that's different than the thing that got you there. Yeah. Right? And, and so, you know. So give me an example. Well, you know, Jay-Z is not a better rapper today than he was when he started. Right? I mean, let's, like, I'm, there's no judgment on his music, right? But, but... But the more successful he's gotten, the more he's become a businessman. Right. Right. The more he's had to learn, you know, how to be a brand and how to run a team and all the, you know, he's, he runs, you know, several successful businesses. Right. Right. And that's very different than the skill of writing a song yeah. or standing on stage and entertaining people or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and I think that's true. Um, you know, that's true in really all of the creative pursuits right is that when you get good at something then you have to become you have to do the business 
Right. And you got to find the people to do the business and right. all that. And, and it's just a different skill set. Yeah. And I think it trips up most people. Um, you know, even, yeah, I, yeah, I think that's a real challenge. Yeah, it is. And, and it's also like, if you want survival and you want to do as much creative stuff as you can, uh, like the stuff we keep trying to do with the site, we're getting, we're getting a little bit more into events. Um, yeah. And like we have a, we've done something two years now called uh, DX Turbo, which is a video game tournament with rappers. So we team up the rapper oh, with the cool. gamer. So we did Street Fighter Five with Capcom and Twitch two years ago. Nice. Last year we did uh, NBA Playgrounds, which was like a throwback to NBA jams. And so we had some of the best NBA uh, Playgrounds players or like NBA 2K, because NBA Playgrounds just launched that week. Mm -hmm. um, play with, uh, we had Baron Davis, uh, nice. we had some other, we had Nick Grant, we had some other yeah. artists come in, so they, we'd team them up, and then they would play, um, and so, uh, yeah, it was just, and then the, the Street Fighter stuff, we had, like, expert Street Fighter players, we had, like, the one guy, and I never even knew this was a thing, it's the seventh best Ken player in the world, oh, wow. you know, like, it's like, oh, that's an actual, like, that makes <laughs> sense, but, yeah. um, you know, we had them, you know, team up, um, the truth was this year but who's uh so i don't know it was just it was one of those things where um murs was there last year uh, with the street fighter stuff but yeah we'd stream it live on twitch and it was just these i, I want to create more interesting events and more creative stuff and mm -hmm. and um you know it just doesn't get to happen as as often as you want because you're minding the business sure. you know yeah, um, and those events aren't free you know they have to pay for themselves yeah, and yeah. uh you know, but we try to give it for free to the audience by streaming it live, you right. know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so then they don't have to pay for it, you know. So, you know, you clearly have this kind of long game. Um, and, and then obviously the landscape keeps changing. You know, the, the, the perils of, of being a web publisher in 2018, um, you know, given all the social algorithms, given all the you know, the competition for eyeballs, all that stuff. Um, so how do you, how do you navigate that? And like, like, how do you keep yourself in tune with the way the business environment changes? Uh, a lot of reading. A lot of reading and a lot of just talking to your user base yeah. and seeing what's happening. You know, I'm sure you, when you were a writer, you knew it took about two years for you to know. You knew about this artist two years at a time, mm. right? Uh, most okay. of these guys. Yeah. Uh, if you were in, if you, because yeah. they'd come out with a single or they'd come out, you'd see promo for them or something like that. And I, I don't, personally, I don't believe that's changed at all either. Mm. I think the one, two times is that Drake was very unique in a sense, like he came out with his mixtape. But he spent those he spent those years in Houston and learning the trade, you know. And so by the time he came out with the mixtape, you don't know what he was doing right. for the full the couple of years before that. Yeah. Um, and his mixtape went through a system that was already established, mm -hmm. you know. Even as as light as it was, as as light or as non like where he is today, um, with Jay Prince and all those guys. Mm -hmm. I mean, they still put him out in a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> uh, you know, I, I just. I, two years you can see any trend like a lot of a lot of times you don't you don't lose your lose against the competitor because you you didn't see it coming like you, you these things were 
these things were there from the beginning. Yeah. It's like right. it's just really timing and execution. Like you're yeah. you have these windows of two to four years to get something done, mm. and if you don't get it done in those two to four years to pivot when everything's moving, um, not to say that we're the best at it because or or like. You, you get there, you know, like, mm -hmm. yeah, you didn't know that MySpace was going to be huge. All right, well, it's time to build a MySpace page and do that. Right. You didn't know apps were going to be that important yeah. um, because you had a web, a mobile website. Sure. Okay, you go get that done and start building there. Mm -hmm. I think the fallacy, though, is thinking that you're going to move your audience from one platform to another just like that. Like, right. it's, such a, it's such a joke to me how people think that, like, oh, you're starting a, a YouTube page, and then all of a sudden you're, like, important because you started a YouTube page. Right. No, you got to build your audience on YouTube, just the same way as you built your audience on your website, just the same way as you built your audience on your app, just the yeah. same way as you built your audience on Google Amp or wherever platform or on Facebook, on which social media account. You know, like, it's all, you're always starting at zero, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. You might get a little bit of a benefit financially because advertisers might come to you a little bit, but yeah. it's still, like... The advertisers will only stick around for so long if you don't have the audience. Of course. You know? Yeah. Um, so you always have to build your audience. Yeah. And each audience is different. Uh, you know? So I just don't think that... I don't look at it as an overlap play. I look at it as a... You know, if we're entering a new market, we have to ask ourselves, what would DX look like if nothing existed but a Twitter account? Mm. Yeah. Um, so, things like that. Okay. So I know you have a couple other sites in the network. Um, or in the, I, I guess it's not really a network. No, it's, it's, uh, we have a battle rap site. Yeah. Um, so we got into battle rap a little while ago. Uh, it's a really cool culture. It's died down a lot in the last year or so. Uh, it's very much still early days as a culture because you feel like you're in rustling in the seventies where there's like different leagues. Interesting. Um, it's still not organized from a business standpoint. Yeah. Um, so why'd you get in? Well, one, I didn't know where it was at, mm -hmm. um, but I did sort of, I was excited about the fact that uh, that it's kind of where lyricism went to. Okay. Um, and there's an athletic nature to it that yeah. just, just like having to, basically you're talking about five or I'd say three to four minutes of memorized bars mm -hmm. that has to happen like every time you perform and you never use them again. Right. And, um, you know, it, yeah, it just has a very much, it's a, it has a competitive nature to it. Sure. Um, I, you know, I definitely think that there's certain things it needs to do to make it feel like you're moving along to something, you know? So, like, you keep doing these battles after two or three years, you're not, you feel like, okay, well, what's the next stages? There's no stages. Like, in hip-hop, there were stages. So, do you, so you, the way you talk about it sounds, battle rap is separate from, from hip-hop. Uh, it is, yeah, I think so. Because we've done... We've done uh, enough stuff on DX to see what type of click-throughs and what yeah. type of relationship the hip-hop fans has with the battle rap fan, and it's very, very little. Really? Yeah, because you'll actually have people who know a lot about battle rap who know very little about hip-hop music. Interesting. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's definitely a cool market. We keep looking at it, but it's, it, a lot of it actually had to do with us testing tools out for the main site yeah. for, for, and redoing DX. Yeah. So it really wasn't a play to be like, we're going to be the biggest battle rap site. Sure. Uh, but it was really a play to understand what does it mean to start a hip hop a site from scratch right now, mm -hmm. you know, and in the same vein as DX does. Yeah. You know, but, yeah. Um, so that's kind of what a lot of it was. Oh, really, cool. It was a testing ground. And we were lucky we got BattleRap.com. Yeah. So it was a very, like, yeah, yeah, very, you know, um, situation where that sort of worked itself out. It's, really interesting, well. it's interesting that that's separate because, I mean, I get it. 
And I get like, you know, I get how turntablism is separate from hip hop and I get right. how graffiti is separate from hip hop. Like, and he's, you know, but yet this one's different because it's rapping, right? So I wouldn't have thought of that. Right. But, but when you explain it, it makes sense. And certain but, things had to happen. Like, weirdly enough, YouTube's rule about not having music or you getting strikes because you put right. something up that's copyrighted forced them to not put music up there. Yeah. And so it, it got into an interesting situation where you're doing these battles without music in the background, yeah. which in one case it was... So it's acapella. It's acapella. Wow. Which makes it more... And then you start understanding but, the relationship with the crowd and right. the battle rapper on stage and understanding, like, what they have to do from pausing and how they get the crowd into it and how they don't. And, like... And there's two different views of like if you're in the venue, it's not the same as when you watch it because when somebody edits it, it changes things that you thought yeah. were really awesome at the venue sound dead when they're right. edited, or then they sound amazing when they're edited, yeah. and vice versa. Yeah. And so there's like, there's who won at the battle, at the battle itself, yeah. who, won who won online, online. Yeah. and and then I don't know like something in between where it's like the argument for a while, who won after a year, yeah. you know. Um, you, and you never really know. And there's no real good tracking systems built in. And all those tools, like, I, I understand how to build all those tools. There's just not enough money to make it make sure. sense. You yeah, know, it's still very niche and very... Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, of course. But... Okay, so that one I get. And then there's a country site. It's a country music site called Rough Stock. We bought that way back in 2009. Yeah. Uh, there was sort of like an effort. I was looking at building out. Um, and... Uh, and again, it was in sort of like another learning a lesson because it was a lyric space site first, mm -hmm. and we were trying to pivot it into more of a new site. Um, mm -hmm. It does okay, you know. Yeah. It's nothing. It's, we're not really focusing on it like we are on DX. DX yeah. is really our main focus. Yeah. Um, and again, it was one of those. It's a site we do test a few things out here and there to actually learn from. Yeah. Uh, but we are not focused on it becoming at any time soon the biggest one. There's a lot of things that I want to learn still with DX, mm -hmm. um, and I feel like if we can get there. And like we talked about the long game, like if we can get there in five or ten years, I'm perfectly set up to do that again in, in country music. Nice. So. How is country music, how are country music and hip hop the same? I think that's just because they're, they're their own insular cultures, yeah. you know. Um, and the fact that at the end of the day, the data is all the same. Mm. There's lyrics. Yeah, of course. There's, you know, the, the right. producers, there's the information that you glean from it. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's as... Uh, uh, there's so much more consumerism. People want to buy stuff more in hip hop than they do in country. country. Is that right? Well, people buy th like broader things. Like, yeah. oh, I got the new TV. I got the new, right. you know, car. All that stuff is in hip hop much yeah. more than it is in country. Really? Um, country, I think you're very, very uh, focused on the artist. Mm. Uh, now, I think hip hop's changing because of its age, and it's now focusing more on the artist. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, so you're seeing those things happen. Interesting. Uh, but uh, yeah, so the, so the other sites to me are like areas that you test things out, try yeah. to figure a few things out ahead of time before we launch them on the main site. Yeah, that's cool. All right, I got to get to some questions before we uh, oh, more before questions. we lose the room. Um, so tell me one decision that changed your life forever. One decision, I guess, just getting into hip hop. Yeah, you know, um, you know, making that decision in '97 when. Puffy was on one float and I was on the, <laughs> and DJ Mastermind were on the other float and just I seeing a sea of people. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, complete this sentence for yourself. I don't have talent, I have blank. I don't have talent. Oh, perseverance. So if I worked for you, um, what's something I would hear you say over and over? Um, something you'd hear me say. 
over and over if you work for me. What's my like saying? Um, it's probably just a, it's probably just a sound. It's probably just grrr. <laughs> it's probably just a growl. <laughs> what do you think you're like as a boss? Oh, I, uh, I am a tough boss. Yeah. I, I definitely am. I am not a. In what? In what? Like, what makes you tough? Because uh, I, I'm a glass half empty type of person. Okay. You know, versus a glass half full. Sure. Which is ironic because I surround myself with glass half full people. You do. And that's the sort of yin and yang of, of uh, uniqueness of my business sense. Yeah. Um, so, so if we asked the staff at Hip Hop DX, what's the thing they like most about working for you? Mm-hmm. What, what would be the most common answer? Uh, I, I actually do not know. <laughs> I could not tell you. <laughs> I would hope the answer would be um, that they get to, you know, do something that's cool yeah. and, and continue to do something that's cool um, and influence a market and a culture uh, in a way that's very positive. That's, mm. that's what I'd hope they say. But, like, I'm, I'm a tough boss. I'm definitely a tough boss. Sort of I mean, I think it's a, it's a pretty, pretty self-aware statement to say that I'm a glass half-empty person, and I surround myself with glass half-full people. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I'm. That's pretty cool. To but, kind of get that. But you know, it's taking it's taken on. I mean, I figured that part out in the first five or ten years, but to understand what the balances are and how yeah. to like sure how to manage it, because you're never going to have a perfect boss. I don't care who you. The, the the biggest problem we have in our industry is everyone's a lot of people who are in it are very young. Yeah. Right. And yeah. and. It's whether it's even same with the dot com stuff that you read about, like, oh, I'm going to go to a startup and it's going to be amazing. Totally. And we just went over the stat that like the music industry and the startup industry are virtually exactly the same. They throw up a whole bunch of money yeah. and only one in 80 right. make it. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing. Oh, so my son this weekend told me he was going into the NBA. He's eight. Yeah. And so I started to explain to him, you know, the math behind that. More, you know, not to like shoot them down, but it's like, well, this is gonna take a lot of work. Right. Right. And so, you know, right now you're one of four million or however many, you know, 30 million, whatever, kids playing basketball on a neighborhood team. And at each level, there's fewer and fewer spots. Right. right? And so you gotta figure out how to get there. That's interesting. My daughter, for a while, wanted to play in the NHL, and then she saw that people got hit a lot, and so then she was like, no. Yeah, it's probably a smart move. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, no, it's, yeah, I, it, it's, <coughs> it's weird because, you know, I've been in the business for so long, so I understand, I've seen things and I've tried things to a certain level, Yeah. right? I've thrown events. I've thrown events that we've lost money. I've thrown events that we've made money. So when you have somebody new coming to the picture, and there's a whole concept of like, oh, you need to be able to nurture ideas and everyone should be working here. But yet you've played this game so many times. Right. Yeah, of course. And you're looking for somebody to come to you with 50 to 60% of the stuff already done for you. Mm-hmm. And they're not there. They're mm-hmm. just at this point where they want to throw a party. And you look at that and you're like scratching your head being like, I need what party who's going to be there right. have you talked to them already are they booked or are they are yeah. they almost booked are they just like all we have to do is like put some papers together like where are we in that process right. um because that helps me then take the next stages versus i'm now saying like oh you need me to organize this stuff you need mm-hmm. me to make this like into something tangible that's not i'm working on 20 other things i have to make tangible right. you yeah, know and it's not out of like this 
this sense of like I don't want to have great ideas percolate at the top, but like you know as well as I do, idea it's not about ideas, it's about ex execution. Absolutely. All about execution. Always. Who's who's willing to who's willing to go through who's the comedian who's willing to go through time two to twenty five where they're just shit on right. consistently yeah. to be like, oh now twenty six works the same way as the first time. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now I get it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's why perseverance, you know, when we talked about it earlier, that's what actually makes a difference that's to me great. sometimes. It's like, okay, you're smart, and now you have to persevere. Sure. Because you can be smart, but if you can't get it done and keep going, right. it's not going to happen. So who would you be most excited to learn as a fan of your work? Most excited to learn as a fan of my work? Um, that'd be interesting. Most excited to learn. I was out of my work. See, here's this is what's weird. I'm not looking for, for. Um, I don't. I want to walk with giants. Okay. I don't need giants to. So if someone invited you to walk with them, so to speak. Okay, Warren Buffett. Oh. He'd probably be like. I, I don't necessarily care if he reads my stuff. Sure. It's more of just being able to like learn from somebody who has so much knowledge. Yeah. What, um, speaking of knowledge, what, what book has had the biggest impact on you? Mm, it's, uh, what's the biggest book? Um, I would say, uh, I would actually argue two books have had the biggest mm. influence. One is a book called One's a book called Good to Great by Jim Collins, mm -hmm. but that isn't the book itself. It's actually a book called Beyond Entrepreneurship and he wrote it when he was teaching at Stanford. It's called uh, and he writes under Jim Collins. Oh, okay. Not uh sorry, uh yeah, Jim. Good Jim. James Collins. James Collins. Yeah, he wrote, wrote some of okay. that. Um, so, I don't know that book. So that's one. And then you can't, you can't get it on Kindle or anything. Mm. You can only get it on hardcover. Um, and then the other one would be probably the essays of Warren Buffett. Mm. Um, just because those two, between those two things, you just understand a lot more about how to deal with people, how yeah. to like work. Uh, but to be honest, I, I've read 50% of something like 300 books. Like, I have, I, I cannot end, I, for some reason I cannot get to an end of a book. Is that right? Um, unless it's on audio. Yeah. For some, I can get to the end of every audio book I listen yeah. to. But, but the problem with, with like, the fact that like, these, these are two great books, sure. But these are two great books I've revisited mm -hmm. over time consistently. Um, you know, I've probably read the essays of Warren Buffett at least four times on and good to great. I probably read, I mean, uh, beyond entrepreneurship, I probably read every year. Mm. Um, and, uh, just because they're tangible to, to what I do, that's great. Uh, but you're always learning stuff. And if you're not, then that's the biggest problem. Right. Like this assumption that, that you know, what's going to do, what's going to happen or what's going to do is, is just a fallacy. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. maybe that goes to my, Glass half empty sort of outlook no, in the world, but, right. but you can't stop reading. You can't stop pushing that sort of lever because um, that's that's another reason why you'll lose against the competition too. Mm -hmm. You know, just being okay with where you're at. Sure. I, I, it's survival of the fittest. It is. Yeah. You know, um, 
what movie do you think you've seen the most in your life? Oh, you know, that's tough because I don't really watch, try, I try not to watch movies twice. Yeah. But it'd probably have to be just by default, I think, Star, some of the Star Wars movies. Uh -huh. those, those are the only ones you kind of see over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Thomas Crown Affair. Oh, okay. Um, top three would be like Thomas Crown Affair, District 9. Is oh, my, yeah. Is in my top like five. Nice. Um, yeah. And uh, who's your favorite DJ? Oh, my favorite DJ. Spin Bad. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. His mixtapes were just like the, what he was doing then was just so unique to the space. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was definitely my favorite. I kind of forgot about him. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, that's because he's, uh, he's on tour with Russell Peters. Yeah. Uh, so that's what his gig is now. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So wherever Russell goes, Spin Bad goes. Oh, nice. Yeah, but he has the best. Like, if you can find old mixtapes yeah. online, I think that's the best stuff to listen to. You still have all the mixtapes from back in the day? The ones that I used yeah. to sell? Yeah, I think I have them all. Yeah, yeah. I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure I have all of them. Nice. But yeah, no, it's... That's fun. Every time I go home, they're sitting around, and I yeah. look at them, and, <laughs> you know, just the, just the sheer number. Actually, I was unpacking boxes this weekend, and I found my whole cornerstone... Most of, I found my whole cornerstone collection since I was living in the U.S. Oh, really? So from, like, 84. Like I think number seventy-two onwards uh -huh. to like one of those to me still are some of the best like packaging and yeah for sure yeah but yeah I don't think any of your people are gonna know what a cornerstone mixtape looks like when you're watching but no it's funny I mean that was a that was an important thing for a long time the fader tape and yeah. the, you know yeah sweet nine three all that so yeah all the questions That's it? yeah man thanks for doing this okay. um, obviously you know. We'll send everybody to hiphopdx.com. Uh, are you, are there? Um, All of our Instagram handles are at hiphopdx. Yeah. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all at hiphopdx. Yeah, you guys are on everything. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for talking to us. It was fun. No problem. You're, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Oh, that was Sharath Charian, Hip Hop DX. Uh, fantastic interview. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Um, leave us a comment, a, a review, a say something on Twitter, on Facebook, wherever you like. We're at Rebel Radio Net. Check out our videos on YouTube. We've been slowly putting up videos of all the interviews. We got long form. We got some short form coming up. You can find us on YouTube at Rebel Radio Net. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.